Please take a seat. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 53. We're going to read through it again, think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, do please help us to understand this last part of your word and convince us anew of the truth about the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. We finally made it. Finally made it. It's been uh, 11 months, 42 Bible studies, 42 Bible talks on Sunday. But here we are at last, at the end of Luke's Gospel. Well done. You've made it. Now, I'm not sure if you remember this from 11 months ago, but we started off our series by looking at uh, Luke's aim uh, as he wrote his Gospel, what, what he was trying to achieve for us in writing. Uh, we read from his introduction. Let me read it to you again from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Uh, Luke starts off by talking about how Lots of people had written about Jesus, so he had all kinds of sources, eyewitness sources at his hands. Uh, so verse 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Okay, so there's his source, eyewitnesses and servants. And then second bit, he told us what, what he was doing, how he how he come to write, write his gospel. Verse 3, with this in mind... Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Okay, so he carefully investigates all the sources and he's putting it together in order, telling the story of Jesus from beginning to end. But now look at his intention. Look at, look at what he wants for you and me. Verse 4. So that you may know... This is why he's writing. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. I finished that first talk 11 months ago by saying this. Let me quote myself. How do we apply this passage and the whole book of Luke to ourselves? Luke wants us to be certain. Certain that the message about Jesus is true. Certain that Jesus is worthy of our trust. And so, I said back at the beginning of 2022, that is our goal for the year. By the end of 2022, we're aiming to be more sure about Jesus. To be more sure about Jesus. That was the goal that we set ourselves 42 weeks ago. So how'd you go? How did you go? At the end of 2022, are you any more certain about Jesus? Do you trust him more confidently now than you did at the start of the year? As I think back through the gospel, Luke has given us lots of convincing stuff. Uh, things that, that, that I think should have built our confidence. Our first couple of chapters, do you remember? He told us the stories of the, the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Two very unusual, miraculous, unique births. Chapter 3, we followed John's ministry as he prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus was baptized. And you remember God himself said, this is my son. With him I'm well pleased. Chapter 4, Jesus resisted the temptations of the devil and then he began his ministry. And what a ministry. I mean, teaching like you've never heard from anybody else. Extraordinary, powerful, amazing teaching. And backing up his teaching with extraordinary miracles. And 
I've said this to you over and over again through the year, but each time you sort of you read a familiar story, like Jesus walks on water or Jesus feeds 5,000 people or Jesus heals a leper or Jesus heals a blind man, and you go, oh, yeah, I've heard that story before. No, hang on. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can heal the sick and raise the dead and, and walk on water and feed 5,000 people. with that, that, that is entirely unique. He gathered disciples. He told them about his heavenly kingdom, kept teaching, kept showing miracles until finally, chapter 9, they recognized who he was. He is the Messiah, the king in God's kingdom, the promised king in the line of David, the one who will rule God's kingdom forever. And then from then on, do you remember, chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And all along, he's been on that journey, over and over again, telling his disciples why they are going there going to Jerusalem where he will suffer, be rejected, and die, but then on the third day rise from the dead. And on the way, on this journey to Jerusalem, he's taught so many amazing things. I mean, think about, uh, he's taught about God's law. Do you remember the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Totally transformed my understanding of the parable of the Good Samaritan this year because Jesus isn't saying be a Good Samaritan. He's saying there is no way you can keep God's law. There is no way you can love your neighbour as yourself. You need him to die for you in Jerusalem. He's taught over and over again about how his kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. And so that's where our focus should be, on heaven, not on earth. Heaven is more valuable than earth, so we should be. I don't know if anyone remembers about the hogs. <laughs> um, was it humble and open and generous? Jesus taught about prayer and rebuking and forgiveness. He taught about God's great love for the lost. He taught about his ultimate return. And he called on his disciples to faithfully serve him while they wait for him to come back to this world. And then finally, Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and everything went exactly as he said. He was opposed, he was rejected, unjustly tried, unjustly convicted and executed on the cross. And now as we come into our last section of Luke, the disciples are left in a state of confusion. Do you remember from last week, some women have told the disciples that Jesus' tomb is empty. Uh, also they've told them angels have said that he's alive again, just like Jesus predicted. Disciples didn't believe the women, but Peter went to the tomb and he's seen that it's empty except for the grave clothes left alone. There's lots of convincing stuff that's happened so far in Luke's Gospel. Lots of reason for us to be more certain about what we've learned about him. But it's interesting to note, at this point in the story, none of the disciples are convinced. We've only got one talk left, and the disciples are not convinced yet. <laughs> well, now in our passage today, we change scene. The disciples of Jesus, two disciples of Jesus, are headed to a little village called Emmaus. I guess that's their hometown. And it seems like they're heading back to their hometown because, well, the whole Jesus thing has been a disaster. It's been a flop. It's been a failure. And on the way, they're talking about how depressing it all is. But then the risen Jesus comes and starts walking along with them. Now, for some reason, they don't recognize Jesus. Uh, we just said that we're told that they're kept from recognizing him. It doesn't explain how that happened. Maybe God kept them from recognizing him. Maybe the devil kept them from recognizing him. Or maybe, certainly, it shows that they weren't expecting Jesus to be resurrected. They're so 
the idea that Jesus is alive is so foreign to them that they can't imagine it could be Jesus. Or maybe Jesus just looks a bit different now that he's resurrected. Whatever the reason, they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. Uh, Jesus asks what they're talking about, and uh, in this beautifully ironic scene, they tell him his own story. Uh, they, they tell him all the hopes and dreams they had for him and how it's all been shattered, how they're feeling downcast and depressed and now confused about the empty tomb. Verse 17. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, just love the irony here, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He innocently asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus is right in front of them. <laughs> and uh, he, he rebukes them. I mean, he has been telling them over and over again. Since chapter 9, he's been telling them what would happen. But more than that, Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised by this. If you understood the Old Testament correctly, you would realize that this has been God's plan all along. The Messiah will suffer, then enter resurrected glory. And so Jesus gives them, he gives them a Bible study. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did, the, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now they get to Emmaus, they convince Jesus to stay for dinner, and then their eyes are opened. God opens their eyes. They realize it was Jesus all along, and they go... Whoa, what an amazing Bible study that was. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That would have been a pretty amazing Bible study, don't you reckon? Um, I quite enjoy Bible study uh, during the week here at Chatswood, but I wish I'd been in that Bible study, don't you? 
They head straight back to Jerusalem fast as they can, tell everyone what they've seen and heard. But when they, when they get there, they find out that they're not the only ones who've seen Jesus. Peter's seen him as well. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. As they're comparing notes, Jesus himself appears among them. Can you imagine that? Jesus himself appears. Uh, They think he's a ghost. They're still not 100% convinced, but he proves to them that he is no ghost. He gets them to look at him. He gets them to touch him. He gets them. He even eats food in front of them. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus Proves his resurrection. He shows them they, they can they can see, they can touch, they can they can um, even eat with him. But he doesn't just prove it physically. Once again, he also proves it to them from scripture. And so he gives another Bible study. He takes them through the Old Testament, shows how it's fulfilled in his death and resurrection. Verse forty-four. He said to them, "This is what I told you while I was still with you." Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. What do you reckon Jesus would have shown them? To show that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the third day. Maybe he would have talked about the sacrificial system and the need for death to atone for sin. Maybe he would have talked about the Passover lamb in order to set people free from slavery and bring them to the promised land. Maybe he would have shown them prophets like Isaiah, Isaiah 53 maybe, again. Maybe Jeremiah 31 and the the new covenant. Maybe Ezekiel and the rising bones or Zechariah, all these things that talk about the suffering and the rising of the Messiah. Maybe he would have talked about... uh, the book of Daniel and the hope of resurrection, or the book of Psalms, that God's not going to leave the body of the king to suffer decay. Whatever he showed them, Jesus proved once again that his death and resurrection was no surprise. It was always God's plan right through Scripture. And Jesus also shows them from the Old Testament that they have a job to do. They need to tell the world what they've seen and what they've heard. Call on the world to turn away from sin and put their trust in Jesus. Verse 47. Just get back a bit. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. In verse 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses 
of these things? The disciples and the witnesses. And they just seen and touched and, and heard. They saw, they heard, they knew firsthand the truth about him. You know, last week um, we were talking about how the disciples, they didn't gain anything from, from what, they, what they taught and, in fact, the vast majority of them were, were, were killed from what they taught. And um, I, I was saying that I, I thought that's quite convincing in, in, in them telling the truth. And someone came to me after the, the, the service and asked, asked a very good question. They said, well, is it true that lots of people die for what they believe. You know, you'll find people who want to fly planes into buildings or something like that, they're happy to die for what they believe. That doesn't make it any more true. How, why is this any different? But it is different, isn't it? Because these are guys that they didn't die for what they believed. And that they died for telling what they had seen and heard and touched. That's an entirely different thing, isn't it? doesn't matter how hard you believe something, doesn't make it true. But these guys knew whether Jesus was true or not from what they'd seen and heard and touched. And so the fact that they were willing to die, just saying we cannot help talking about what we've seen and heard, I think is convincing. Anyway, now they need to tell the world. Uh, but Jesus doesn't leave them to do their job on their, on their own. He promises that God will give them the spirit as promised to strengthen and empower them. Verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then very last scene, we shift to Bethany and the Son of Man comes into the presence of God. God says to his Messiah, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus ascends into heaven and so Jesus' disciples worship him and praise God. Verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. All right, that's it. We made it. Well done. Well done. Can you see what's here in this very last section of Luke's Gospel? Uh, three scenes. First scene, Road to Emmaus. Jesus appears to the two disciples, gives them a Bible study to explain about Scripture, about himself. A second scene back in Jerusalem, Jesus appears to all the disciples, proves that he's genuinely resurrected and gives them another Bible study. He promises they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then third scene, Bethany, Jesus ascends into heaven. All right. As we think about applying this final passage to ourselves, I want us to come back to that question we asked at the beginning of today and at the beginning of the year. Has studying loose gospel helped you to be more certain about Jesus? Now I've got a couple of ideas, but before I tell you what I think, I want to give you a chance to talk about it for yourselves. I'm going to give you extended time, about three minutes, maybe three minutes. Break up into groups of a few people, make sure nobody's left on their own, and tell each other your experience. Has Luke's gospel helped you to be more sure about Jesus? How? How has Luke's gospel helped you to be more sure about Jesus? Is there anything in particular that struck you, helped you to be more confident? And if this is your first time at church, um, hopefully you're feeling jealous that you've missed out on a whole year of Luke's gospel with us. But maybe talk about what you've seen in Luke today. Is there anything here today that makes you more certain about Jesus? Okay, about three minutes. Let's go, please. Make sure nobody's left on their own.
talk to each other. Okay, should we come back together? What sorts of things did you talk about? You talk about his amazing teaching, because it is quite unique, isn't it? You talk about his amazing miracles. You talk about just his, uh, his wisdom and his compassion. Did you talk about his, his integrity and his calm control? Did you talk about his loving commitment to go to the cross for us? Next year, I'll be old enough to move to a retirement village. <laughs> I've met thousands of people in my life from all different walks of life. I've never met anyone like Jesus. Uh, Jesus is wiser. He is stronger. He is more loving. He is of higher integrity. He is more excellent than anyone I've ever met. He's unique, and not just a little bit unique, not just a bit better. No, he's... He's in a league entirely of his own. I like you all very much. He's better than you. He's way better. And friends, I have to say, after 11 months of looking at this Jesus in Luke, he's the one I want to be my king and saviour. I do feel more sure. But even here today, there's plenty that makes me confident. And remember, of course, this is the thing that convinced the disciples. They weren't convinced at the beginning of, of today's passage and they were convinced at the end. Here's the thing that finally convinced them. There's two things, I reckon. Let me point to two things. First, Jesus himself. He does get a bit grumpy with them, doesn't he? How foolish you are, etc. But, but look at how he graciously proves that he's alive. He gets them to look at him. He gets them to touch him. He, he eats with them. And he tells them their job is not to be philosophers, not storytellers, not religious authorities. No, no. Their job is to just say what they've seen. Their job is to be witnesses. Tell the world what they've seen with their eyes and listened to with their ears and touched with their hands. And that sounds a lot like John's first letter, doesn't it? We're not dealing with a fairy tale here, friends. In Jesus, God entered history and left witnesses. Second thing, second thing is what Jesus says about how all of Scripture points to him. The other day we were at a party for my family. It was my, my dad's birthday. And one of my relatives, it was a pretty terrible night actually, one of my relatives got into his head that he was going to convince my daughter to not be a Christian anymore. So he was harassing her about all kinds of things, trying, trying to make her look foolish. That poor thing was in tears. And part of what he said to her as she was kind of grabbing me and trying to ask me to come and help her. She said, oh, what, what, what's with this Old Testament? Well, all this terrible stuff in the Old Testament with the wars and the dead animals. Why would you still teach that in your church, this Old Testament stuff? Now, I wasn't part of the conversation, and uh, the moment my daughter dragged me in, this man shut up. But afterwards I started to think about it. Admittedly, I was feeling very grumpy, but I started to think about it, and I thought, well, why would we look at the book of Genesis? And I thought, well, if we didn't have Genesis, we wouldn't know how God created everything by his word. We wouldn't know God's original intention for us to be in relationship with him without sin in the garden. We wouldn't know the problem with the world of sin and rebellion against God. We wouldn't know God's great promise and desire to bless the world again as he promises through Abraham. How would we know anything of Jesus if we didn't have the book of Genesis? No, what about the book of Exodus? 
We didn't have Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We, we wouldn't know that story of how Israel were rescued from slavery through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and brought through the wilderness to the promised land. We wouldn't have this amazing picture of what Jesus is on about, rescuing us from slavery through his sacrifice, bringing us through this life to the ultimate promised land. Or the book of Leviticus. How would we know what sacrifice is? What was Jesus doing being sacrificed? How would we know what priesthood is? What is Jesus doing being our priest? How would we know what clean and unclean and holy and unholy is? If I can just give you a quick advertisement, we're going to look at Leviticus together next year. Now, last time I did the book of Leviticus, my Bible study actually boycotted it because they didn't think that we should do it. They were completely wrong. Okay, It will really enrich our understanding of Jesus as we think about sacrifice, as we think about priesthood, as we think about holidays and clean and unclean and holiness. I thought, what if we didn't have judges or kings or chronicles? Well, we'd never know God's great plan to have a king who justly rules us in the promised land, the king in the line of David who will rule forever the true eternal king who gives us security and justice and peace in the ultimate promised land. On and on I thought about it. Through the wisdom books that point to God's ultimate wisdom in Jesus, through the Psalms and prophets who tell us about God's judgment and, and love ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And the more I thought about it, and admittedly I started off this thinking feeling very grumpy, but the more I thought about it, I thought, wow, that's actually pretty amazing. A couple of thousand years of scripture, different authors, Different contexts, different languages, different genres, different cultures, and yet all pointing with this amazing uniformity to God's great purpose and plan in Jesus. All filling out the background so that you can understand who Jesus is and he stands in the centre of God's great painting of history. I have to admit, despite starting off feeling very grumpy, by the end of thinking through that I felt my heart warmed within me as I saw how beautifully it all fits together and points to Jesus. I think they're two very convincing things, aren't they? Jesus himself, alive. And it all fitting in with Scripture. That's what convinced the disciples. I have to say it. I still think it's convincing, don't you? Well, friends, I hope Luke has succeeded in his purpose for you in 2022. I hope and pray that you are more sure that Jesus is the one you want to be your King and Saviour. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for all the evidence that Luke has given us that we might be certain that what we have been taught about him is true and that he is and should be our King and our Saviour. Help us to trust in him. Help us to trust in him with great certainty and with great joy. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.